Hello and welcome to The World in 30 Minutes, the podcast on the events, policies and ideas that will shape the world and the European Council on Foreign Relations. My name is Mark Leonard and I am very happy to join you here in a very special podcast with David McAllister, MEP, who is the chair of the all-powerful AFET committee in the European Parliament. David McAllister is a member of the Christian Democratic Union, which is part of the EPP. He's currently a vice president of the EPP, but he is also somebody who's had a very long and distinguished career in German politics, including some time as the minister president of the state of Lower Saxony, which is an important state in German politics, not least because it has also given us the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. I'm going to talk to David about the process of doing hearings for all the European Commission over the next few weeks, but in particular about the idea of Europe on the world stage and what his vision is for for European foreign policy. So, David, why don't we launch right into it? Your um, fellow Lower Saxony representative, Ursula von der Leyen, has said that she doesn't just want to be a political commission, but a geopolitical commission. What do you think that means? Our internal and external activities are two sides of the same coin. So what we do at home here in Europe will affect our place in the world and will shape relations with our strategic partners and competitors. So this is why I believe Ursula von der Leyen has proposed a geopolitical commission. Overall, multiple aspects fall under the term geopolitical commission, It means really that Ursula von der Leyen has presented a commission that is on the one hand well balanced, especially at the level of the vice presidents, and that this internally balanced structure will ensure that the EU can speak with one voice on the world stage. Perhaps last word, most importantly, the branding of a geopolitical commission indicates that this new commission will assert an increased role in the EU's external action. So what do you think that means for the position of the HRVP, the high representative and vice president? Because traditionally, their job has been to try and bring together the external aspects of internal policy. But here it looks like the president of the commission wants to make herself into the geopolitical commissioner. The European Commission will increase its focus on external action. Traditionally, foreign and security policy has been the domain of member states On the EU level, it's the member states who cooperate and unanimously agree to take action by a common foreign and security policy. And as the CFSB has yet to become communitarized, the practical impact of the European Commission in this area has so far been rather limited. So in order to show that the Commission's proposed policies are sensitive to geopolitical occurrences taking place in the external arena, Ursula von der Leyen has promised that going forward, for instance, the EU's external actions will be systematically discussed and decided by the College. So to this end, she has also pledged that all Commission services and cabinets will prepare the external aspects of College meetings on a weekly basis. And furthermore, she has emphasized the need to boost the European Union's defense policy with, for example, the introduction of a new Directorate General for Defense Industry and Space, and also by strengthening the European Defense Fund. So this all shows that these pledges and institutional changes within it are to say that she perceives internal and external policies actually as two sides of the same coin. 
So you're going to be overseeing the hearings for two main foreign policy commissioners, the HRVP, Josep Borrell, but also the Commissioner for the Enlargement and Neighbourhood Policy, Lajlo Tolokshani. Can you tell me a bit about how that's going to work? Well, we're looking forward to both hearings. First, we're going to have the Hungarian Commission candidate, Mr. Trochani, as the Commission candidate for Enlargement and Neighbourhood Policy, for a three-hour hearing. And then on the Monday, the 7th of October, we will have Mr. Borrell as candidate for the High Representative and Vice President. Both commissioners have already received five written questions from my side, and they have the opportunity to give us a written answer. And then we will have, after a brief introduction from my side as chair, a about 15-minute presentation by the two gentlemen, and then they will receive 25 oral questions from MEPs from the different uh, political groups and they will cover the whole wide range of issues these two gentlemen will be dealing with. And what do you think the big challenges for them are? I mean you've been chairing the Foreign Affairs Committee for the last few years so you've seen other commissioners and high representatives in action. Based on that experience what do you think the most difficult challenges for the new incumbents are going to be? Well, all Commission candidates have received a mission letter from Ursula von der Leyen. It's really worth reading, for instance, the mission letter to Josep Borrell, where Ursula von der Leyen has laid out six points that will guide the work of the new HRVP. Firstly, the European Union needs to be more strategic, more assertive and more united in its approach to external relations. That means that Ursula von der Leyen expects Mr Borrell that he will strengthen the EU's capacity to act autonomously and promote our values and interests around the world. Secondly, to be a global leader, the European Union needs to take decisions in a faster and more efficient way. We must overcome unanimity constraints that hamper our foreign policy. So that means that Ursula von der Leyen expects that when putting forward proposals, Josep Borrell will seek to use the clauses of the treaties that allow certain decisions on the CFSP to be adopted by qualified majority voting. Thirdly, Mrs. von der Leyen expects Mr. Borrell to play an important role in ensuring a better link between the internal and external aspects of EU policies. I was just talking about that. Fourthly, Mr. Borrell is supposed to give a weekly update on foreign policy to the college. I believe that this will help frame the Commission's discussions and it will ensure that the external action becomes a systemic part of the Commission's decision-making process. Fifthly, Mr. Borrell will need to take further bold steps in the next five years towards a genuine European Defence Union. So he will continue working on how to make the EU's defence policy more coherent. And finally, Ursula von der Leyen expects for High Rep to work with all relevant commissioners to ensure that the external financial instruments are used strategically. If we could go into a couple of those areas in a bit more depth, it'd be interesting to hear what you think the the solutions are going to be. I mean, one of the big challenges for European foreign policy is the divisions in the council between member states and certainly on foreign policy. There are member states, uh, particularly the Hungarian government, that have often blocked decisions which needed to be taken by unanimity. Sometimes it's taken several days for statements to appear. Sometimes they've never appeared. How do you think you can get around that? Because obviously you need unanimity if you want to move towards qualified majority voting. So what do you think the solution is? Well, I agree. To be a global leader, the European Union needs to make decisions 
in a faster and more efficient way. And the European Parliament for many years now has been very clear with a large majority that we believe the European Union should use its existing instruments more effectively, act in a more unified and coherent way to improve our decision-making processes. And that's why we should try to overcome unanimity constraints that hamper our foreign policy. And that's why let's try and step-by-step make qualified majority voting the rule. So do you think that if... For example, Hungary's holding out and blocking a decision on something which has got very little to do with its national interests, like disputes in the South China Sea or something like that, that the other 26 should just go ahead and issue the declaration without them? Well, to introduce qualified majority voting, you, of course, in the beginning need a unanimous decision. And I believe the way forward is to really go step by step and that member states will eventually be convinced, I mean all member states, that EU institutions and all member states should unite behind a common and strong EU-level foreign policy. The European Union is a global payer. We are by far the biggest donor for development corporation funds, but we are not a global player, at least not a global player how we should be. And this also has to do with the way we make our decisions on foreign policy. That's why, once again, I strongly believe that the Europeans' foreign policy needs to become more effective. The other angle which you talked about was this question about the internal versus external. I mean, some people have interpreted the new commission as actually potentially making that more difficult because some of the key responsibilities have been spread out. So, for example, Sylvie Goulard is going to be responsible for defence industries rather than it being the high representative and Executive Vice President Dombrovskis is in charge of sanctions policy. How how do you think that we're going to overcome the, the silos which have stopped the EU from behaving in a more strategic way in the new setup? I think the new setup of the Commission is interesting and I think it's the correct way forward and I believe that this new structure deserves a fair chance. Of course, the European Parliament will scrutinise not only the Commission candidates but also the structure of the Commission. But I think this makes a lot of sense. You've got a strong, very dedicated and competent Commission President at the helm. Then you have three executive vice presidents who are also responsible for coordinating all the different policy aspects. And you have very interesting personalities with very different political backgrounds. So I'm quite optimistic that this commission will, first of all, be successful and actually be a geopolitical commission, as Ursula von der Leyen has pointed out several times. And it is remarkable that every week the high rep has now been asked to brief the whole college on foreign policy aspects to make sure that we actually have this coherence between internal and external aspects of EU policy. So if you look forward at the next five years of European foreign policy, I mean, in some ways, it'd be helpful to learn from the experience of the last few years. What do you think the main lessons from Mogherini's tenure as, as high rep are? Things that have worked well, things which didn't work so well, which could inform what we would hope for from, from the next high representative? 
I think that the new commission will build up on the good work uh, Federica Mogherini uh, did in her five-year term as a high rep and vice president. The major steps forward on CFSP and CSDP were, of course, on the field of defense. We probably reached more in European defense in the last three, four years than in 60 years before. And what we now need to do is to continue to step up our response and resilience capabilities uh, on defense. We all know security challenges are becoming more and more diverse and unpredictable. And that's why we need to really, how can I put it, step up our, our work in the next five years towards a genuine European defense union. And I believe that Josep Borrell, Sylvie Goulart and others responsible for this will work closely together. And I also know that this is a very important aspect for Ursula von der Leyen herself, who, of course, has long-standing experience as German Minister of Defence. So if we look at the, the kind of big issues which are facing the EU at the moment, our relations with the US, with China, with, with Russia, what do you think the, the kind of most difficult questions are going to be for Borrell when he faces your committee? Well, I can't tell you which uh, questions Mr. Borrell is going to get because the MEPs from the political groups are all independent and they can ask him whatever they wish and they want. I believe that Zorazet Borrell is a respected politician and he has a lot of experience in European and foreign policy. He was the president of the European Parliament from 2004 till 2007 and he's the Spanish foreign minister in the moment. So he's has been and is dealing with all important international issues. I mean, the world is so complex, but I guess colleagues in the end will concentrate on six, seven, eight main topics. But I'm only guessing, you know, I can't give you a guarantee. You'll probably get questions on enlargement, Eastern partnership, transatlantic relations, China, Russia, the wider Middle East, North Africa strategy, then the whole question how to deal with our neighboring country, Africa, and perhaps even on Brexit, because once the UK has left the European Union, it will be a third country like many more. And what do you think the way forward on these things are? I mean, a lot of those questions that you talked about are ones which are incredibly divisive for the EU. I mean, maybe we could just take one of them, where, like Russia, where which is one of the age-old divisions within the EU. So divisive, in fact, that, that Federica Mogherini had no role on, on Russian policy at all because she wasn't trusted by many of the Central and Eastern European countries because of her record as, as Italian foreign minister, but also because the big member states like France and Germany excluded her from, from the Normandy format of dealing with Russia. Do you think a different high rep could actually make sure there was more of an EU role on Russia? Well, first of all, I believe that European leadership means working hand in hand with our neighbours and our partners, and that it's important that we deepen our relationships and that we should always be guided by our values and our respect for international law. Now, when it comes to Russia, we all know that Russia is our neighbour on the one hand, and on the other hand, we know that Russia is a difficult neighbour. And to move forward on relations with Russia, the implementation of the Minsk Agreement 
remains a key precondition for any kind of more enhanced cooperation uh, with us, with Moscow. That's the one point where we were clear and we will remain clear, but also includes that informal dialogue and confidence building measures remain a key objective. But we have to be clear on our principles and we should also support civil society, NGOs, research and media in Russia, because this is fundamental for building this dialogue and cooperation in the future. And we need to build resilience, particularly in the cyber and media fields, including mechanisms to detect and fight election interference should be one of our main objectives. It is not forgotten that Russia continuously supports extremists from the far right and the far left. There has been Russian meddling into free elections in member states of the European Union. But at the same time, we saw Emmanuel Macron's speech to his ambassador's conference earlier in the year where he talks about the need to recast our relationship with Russia and clearly wants to make progress in implementing Minsk. How do you see that? Well, I welcome any attempt to improve our relations with Russia. However, the key certainly lies in the hands of Mr. Putin, it's up to the Russian leadership to implement what has already been agreed many years ago in Minsk. This remains the key precondition for any enhanced cooperation with Russia. In your long list of, of issues, the other big basket of areas which is absolutely central to the EU is the whole question of the neighbourhood policy and enlargement. That Those are obviously issues which are going to be on the agenda in uh, the hearings for Mr. Trukciani. Do you think that he is going to get an easy ride from, from your committee on those issues, given where he comes from? Well, I think all commissioners are going to face difficult hearings. In my home country, Germany, we don't know this kind of system of ministers being heard for many hours by parliamentarians, being scrutinised without any help from advisors. So I like this system. What as committee chair, I have said both to Mr. Burrell and Mr. Trotschani is that I believe that every commission candidate deserves a fair and equal chance. So I will make sure that the hearing goes according to the rules of procedure. It's up to the MEPs to scrutinize and to ask really tough questions. And then I will invite the coordinators of the group of if Mr. Burrell or if Mr. Trociani gets the support of our committee or not. And then we know that there are possibilities of asking further written questions or inviting them a second time. Just to, to finish off on the, the Hungarian issue, I mean, one of the complicated debates over the last period has been about the relationship between Viktor Orban and Fidesz and the EPP. They were suspended from the EPP. You're one of the leading lights in the EPP. And can you tell us where that has got to and what you think the next steps in that relationship are going to be? FIDES has been suspended from the EPP. FIDES members can no longer take part in party meetings. We are waiting for the report of the three, as I would call them, wise men, Hermann von Rompuy, Hansget Pertering and Wolfgang Schüssel. They are supposed to deliver a report on the situation on the ground uh, in Hungary and then afterwards, we will have to take a decision within the formal boards of the EPP. In the European Parliament, the feeders' colleagues are 
members of our EPP group, because the Fidesz party is suspended, they cannot run for leading positions in our group. So that's the situation around um, Hungary. So nothing has been decided. But in the moment, Fidesz cannot participate actively in the EPP. So maybe could just ask you a last question, which is obviously confirming the, the commissioners over the next couple of weeks. But after that, you're going to be trying to hold them to account and play quite an important role as one of the big beasts in the Brussels jungle in, in European foreign policy. What do you think the the key kind of challenges are, particularly seen from the European Parliament? How do you think you can help Europe be a more credible actor on the world stage from your vantage point as the chair of AFET? As a chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, no surprise, I strongly believe that the parliamentary dimension of the EU's foreign policy should be strengthened. We have to make sure in the next years that the European Parliament is regularly briefed, notably before major events and at key stages of international negotiations, to allow us to exercise our scrutiny role in an efficient and timely manner including in the field of CFSP. So the more we build a consensus when designing policy, the quicker it can become law and make a difference to people's lives. And finally, I believe in the concept of parliamentary diplomacy. Uh, Politicians like to talk to politicians, and often when MEPs go abroad or receive guests in Brussels and Strasbourg, we can also convey messages one-to-one to our counterparts from other countries, from parliaments or other institutions. So I'm looking forward, hopefully, to a good cooperation between the European Parliament and the High Rep and the Enlargement Commissioner. But let me add that we also had a good cooperation in these five years with Johannes Hahn on the one hand, and Federico Mogherini on the other hand. Federico Mogherini was very present during the plenary sessions in Strasbourg, and she should get credit for that. Maybe one last thing, actually, um, seeing as we, I think we've got another minute or two. You're in quite a unique position in that you're obviously a very important figure in German politics, but you also have a, a British heritage and a British name. How do you see... Brexit playing to the question of Europe's role on the world stage and also the politics of it because it's obviously been quite difficult and contested debate in the UK and the psychodrama is far from over but how do you think it's going to pan out? Well I think it's so difficult to predict British politics uh, longer than 24 hours in the moment. As somebody who was born British and still holds a British passport I deeply regret that Brexit will probably happen I believe that a European Union with 28 member states, including the UK, is stronger and better than an EU of 27 member states without the United Kingdom. But we will accept any decision the United Kingdom takes. Important now is that should the UK actually leave, we need to get this done in an orderly manner. A no-deal Brexit would be the worst scenario for all sides, especially with severe consequences for the United Kingdom. And once Brexit takes place, we have to work on our future relation. And I strongly believe that we need a close cooperation on foreign policy, defence and security with our British partners. The European Parliament is ready to support this kind of policy, but the European Parliament will also need to scrutinise and provide input to all the negotiations of future agreements. 
And you also have to ratify whatever deal gets agreed, if there is one at the end of the day. The final word of all final words will be with the European Parliament. And the European Parliament has drawn a few red lines at the last plenary session in Strasbourg. We firmly believe that the withdrawal agreement is the way forward. The withdrawal agreement guarantees citizen rights. It gives clarity to businesses. And it's also important to avoid a border, a hard border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. And finally, only with a withdrawal agreement will we have a transition period. And the transition period is so important because we need to organize, we need to establish a new partnership with the UK. Because whatever happens, the United Kingdom will remain our immediate neighbor, an important ally in NATO, a trade partner, political partner in G7, uh, G20 in the United Nations. So let's try and have a closest possible relationship with the British should they leave the EU. But once again, it would be even better if they wouldn't leave the European Union. Well, as someone who, like you, has both a British and a German citizenship, I, I hope you're right that <laughs> we'll manage to avoid it. But thank you very much, David. It's been wonderful talking to you about all the challenges facing the EU. We have one thing left to do on this podcast, which is our bookshelf segment. Can you tell our listeners what's on your bookshelf at the moment? Well, actually, the last book I read at the weekend is a book with the German title Aufstehen, Kiltrichten, Weiterkämpfen, which I would probably translate in English, uh, get up, fix your kilt and continue fighting. And it's the amazing story of the life of John McGurk, who I know personally. John McGurk was born in Glasgow in 1961. He had an extremely difficult childhood. Uh, his life was marked by alcohol, unemployment and violence. He was separated from his seven brothers and sisters and grew up in different children's homes in Scotland. He was abused and he really experienced terrible things. And then after leaving school, he joined the military and came to Germany, to Osnabrück in Niedersachsen. And he served in the military, stayed in Germany. And he finally, one evening, had a dream that completely changed his life. John McGuck is quite well known in Germany because since then he does so much to make this world a place of love. He feels called to run to collect donations for children in need. So his trademark is actually his kilt, which he wears on every charity run. And that's why he's well-known. He's the running Scotsman who lives near Osnabrück, uh, who's always collecting money for children in need. So this autobiography is touching on the one hand, and it's impressive on the other hand to read how this fascinating man just continued to get up and continued fighting. Fantastic. So we'll put links to that, to the live streaming opportunities for the hearings um, on our website at www.ecfr.eu slash podcasts. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please let other people know about it by writing about it on social media and giving us a good rating on the platform that you're using to listen to this podcast on. But for now, from David McAllister and myself, Mark Leonard, it's goodbye. The researcher of ECFR's podcast is Jonathan Hakenbrosch and our editor is Marlene Riedel. Thank you very much. That was wonderful.